What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm, Celtics beat writer for Mass Live, and I'm joined by Nicole Yang of the Boston Globe. Nicole, how are you doing? Pretty good, Tom. How are you? <laughs> well, in the words of Robert Williams, who tweeted just minutes after the Celtics win uh, in Game 4 against the Philadelphia 76ers, I personally can't blame Tammy for anything. So um, shout-out to Rob for tweeting out uh, lyrics to Six Foot Seven by Lil Wayne. In the immediate aftermath of the Celtics sweeping the team that everybody talked about all year uh, that they were going to have trouble with, and Rob is just business-like as usual, hop on the Twitter, send out a quick tweet with some rap lyrics. I enjoy that man's social media presence. It is not a Rob social media post if there are no rap lyrics. It really is not. We're going to get into a few things today. Uh, Obviously, yeah, the Celtics finished off the Sixers, completing their sweep. Nice nights for a few guys. Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, both had good games. Anything in particular stand out to you from the game? I mean, honestly, not really. Jason Tatum had a good night. Jalen Brown keeps making threes. Kemba Walker had a good night. Like, that's pretty standard fare for the Celtics nowadays. I mean, the Sixers really miss Ben Simmons, and Brett Brown said that in his post-game press conference. Like, we totally overestimated our ability to contain Boston's wings. It's not a really useful exercise to wonder what if, but I would be... I mean, who knows what the chances are of us getting to see Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid in some iteration of the Sixers playing against these Celtics. Sounds like Philly's in for a lot of changes, but it just is a bummer that we didn't get to see that this year just because, I mean, yeah, the Celtics swept, but the Sixers hung around, and especially in this game too. Like, really up until Tobias Harris's injury, they, like, hung around points-wise. Obviously, the Celtics were the superior team, But I just do wonder how Ben Simmons would have changed the series because I think his addition would have been significant. Simmons would have made a big difference. He would have helped on Jason Tatum. I don't think it would have changed the eventual outcome. But, yeah, I mean, maybe it goes six games instead of four. You know, maybe maybe it's five really hard-fought games like 2018. You know, maybe it's something like that. That might have changed a few things. I mean, no real other takeaways from me. I did think it was funny that Brad yanked Tice after 30 seconds, and that was all of his playing time for the first quarter. But other than that, like, the Celtics took care of business. The Sixers didn't die again, um, which I thought was commendable on their part. I think the past two games they really could have just rolled over if they wanted to, and, again, nobody really would have batted an eye. So glad the series is over because it really wasn't a fight. Like, if we had to watch game five, that would have just sort of felt like a chore. So, yeah, what about you? I think the biggest takeaways that I had, one, I'm really glad that Tobias Harris is okay. That was one of the scariest falls I've seen in a long time. Just his feet got swept out from under him and landed right on his face, his head. Like, did not, I didn't really appreciate ESPN or uh, ABC, I guess, showing that replay like a hundred times. I know that's just kind of what happens now with injuries and there's always an outcry about it on Twitter and then nothing happens and then they just show it again the next time. So got to kind of get used to it, I guess. I do think that there is a 
I don't know what the correct like phrase is for this, but like I bet if ESPN didn't show the replay, people would be like, oh, ESPN, like what are you doing? Like you're not even going to show us like what happened to like one of the star players. I do think there is a segment of the population that will complain about the broadcast for not showing something. So lose. And that's fair. For them. It gets to a point where it does feel sort of like, you know, almost like, like gore porn, like at some point, you know, like you can show it, a, if you show it once or twice, especially if you give people like, hey, heads up, we're about to show this replay. If you don't want to watch it, then something like that, I'd be fine with, you know, um, yeah. because you're probably right. Like, I mean, and it is something where, especially when it, when it, when it's looks like it's probably an injury as opposed to something worse then there is probably some like news value even in, in showing it. So that's fair. I do wish they'd give some warning maybe before they do it. But, you know, it's, it's also like you can usually tell when, when like a replay is starting. So anyway, that's kind of off topic. But one way or the other, I'm really glad that he's okay. And that was kind of the moment where the, the wheels kind of came off for the Sixers. But I did think that the Celtics had started to, it seemed like they'd started to like figure things out and they'd started to like pick and poke and, and start to pull, not pull away, but you could tell they were building on something at the moment when, when Harris went down. Obviously when Harris went down, it was just, it was over. Like the Sixers didn't have anything left and they made a couple of pushes in the fourth quarter and, and Harris came back in the game, which sure, the Celtics were the better team in the series. And I think it was interesting to watch what I think are probably some of Ennis Cantor's last like big minute games of the season. Cause I don't think he's going to play much against Toronto. I mean, Toronto would just, I mean, they'd be able to pick him apart. You know, maybe maybe he could get some minutes against Milwaukee if the Celtics get past Toronto, because Milwaukee does have a big man, you know, like Giannis isn't going to be like a pick and roll guy. So like, he's much more of like a charge down the lane guy. And if you've got Ennis back kind of dropped into the lane, maybe he can help somehow. Even then, I just kind of don't see it with uh, Ennis kind of the rest of the way. So I mean, that said, he did exactly what the Celtics hoped that he would do in the playoffs. He came in, he was good against Joel Embiid. Sure, he struggled in the pick and roll a little bit, but he got some rebounds. He did what anybody could reasonably expect Ennis Cantor to do. So, like, genuinely, no snark at all. Credit to him for doing that because, I mean, I think the Celtics win that series either way, but he made it a lot easier, I thought. As the series goes on, I feel like the difference between Joel Embiid's minutes against Daniel Tice and Joel Embiid's minutes against Ennis Cantor became, like, bigger and bigger. Yeah. Like, Embiid just worked Tice. It was just, like, clearly not a good matchup. That was definitely Ennis's opportunity, and he definitely stepped up, which is what you want of a role player. Yeah. I, I think mostly we can leave it there for that game, I should say. I don't think at any point during that game, the Sixers were up like five in the first quarter. They were up a little bit more in the, in the second quarter. I never thought the Celtics were going to lose that game. I mean, like the, the Sixers team was overmatched, and I also have felt like the Celtics have done a good job of kind of staying focused on the series, even as the Sixers were overmatched. The Celtics team is a lot better mentally than last year's was, just in terms of taking care of business, you know, staying the course, staying kind of in the moment, overcoming little runs here and there. I mean, last year's team might have gotten frustrated after the first quarter and might have started pointing fingers and, you know, might have ended up giving up this game. But, like, you just don't feel that with this year's team. And I think that's one of the real significant differences this season as opposed to last year. Jalen did bring up a good point in that, like, we swept in the first round last year. True. And then look what happened. And he said, like, we don't want that to happen this year. And we think that we're better equipped to make sure that that doesn't happen. But I think that's on their mind for sure. All right. Um, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors, and then we'll get into some winners and losers. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels, so never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. 
Use promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit nflsundayticket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. From tight muscles, tough workouts, signs of aging, to simply making it through each busy day, everyone understands what it feels like to be tense and sore, so everyone can benefit from TheraOne CBD products. Started by Jason Worsland, TheraBody exists to provide you with the best scientifically validated natural solutions to help soothe your body and relax your mind. It started with the revolutionary Theragun percussive therapy device when Dr. Jason saw the benefits of using CBD in his treatments. He created TheraOne to bring you CBD products done right. A lot of CBD products claim organic but still contain up to 30% filler, and these fillers are potentially toxic. TheraOne tests their products four times before they get to you. Every product is USDA certified organic, grown in the U.S., and their CBD extracts are the highest quality available anywhere. Use TheraOne's warming lotion in your morning routine, the cooling lotion or massage oil to recover, body balm for targeted relief, and sleep tincture to drift into a deep night's sleep. And now through Labor Day, Monday, September 7th, TheraOne is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free for all TheraOne products. But you've got to go to theragun.com slash bluewire. If you don't love what you get from TheraOne, send it back for a full refund within 30 days of purchase. This is not something TheraOne is likely to do again. Buy one, get one free at theragun.com slash bluewire, but only until Labor Day. Go right now to theragun, T-H-E-R-A-G-U-N, dot com slash blue wire um winners and losers Celtic Sixers so I think the biggest most obvious loser is Philadelphia in general but also Brett Brown the whole organization is a is a huge loser here like I don't think any of them expected to win I'm not sure what they could have done to make themselves seem like winners maybe like push it to seven or something like that or like show a lot of guts the entire organization comes off looking terrible from this season this series was really just like a perfect stamp on just an awful season for the Sixers so are there any winners in Philadelphia right now? I guess is the better question. I think Josh Richardson comes out looking pretty good. He defended Tatum much better than I expected him to, quite honestly. I think Al, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I don't think Shake Milton is a loser. I mean, I think the guy like was matched up against Kemba Walker. He had to guard Jason Tatum a couple times. It's like, yeah, like he didn't come across looking great there, but like he's an NBA player. I would put him more in the winner column than loser column for, for sure. sure. Especially because he's so young. He's like 23. Honestly, the majority of his experience came in the G League. So for him to even just compete and knock down some three-pointers, make some good decisions in a playoff series, like you just said, he shows that he's an NBA player. And like that's all you can ask of someone at that stage in his career who was drafted like in the 50s. I would say I I have a hard time with Embiid in this series. He's not a, He's not a winner. I have a hard time calling him a loser, though, because, like, in at least two of the games, he did exactly what he needed to do, which was, like, dominate. It's hard for me to really blame him and say, like, oh, Joel Embiid's a loser. He didn't get up in, like, the pick-and-roll coverage. He didn't, you know, he didn't do X, Y, and Z. And it's like, well, he didn't do those things. He could have done more. But, like, I'm not going to sit here and say that the guy who scored 30-plus points without, like, any real three-point shooting in the modern NBA is a loser. Like, I, I, I have a hard time with that one. Yeah, he's a tough one because, like you said, it's so hard to call someone with that stat line a loser. Also, it feels just weird right now calling people losers. Like, we've talked about this actually before. Just we hate that term just, like, in general, like, outside of, like, the sports vernacular. Just, like, the word loser just is, I don't know, not our favorite. But anyway, I almost think he is because he – and Andrew Sharp brought this up on Twitter – 
Joel Embiid showed up to media day this season and was like, I'm going to win MVP and defensive player of the year. And they were like, okay, like what changes did you make to your diet? Cause his conditioning has always been a topic of conversation. What changes did you make to your workout routine? Nothing. He had all these lofty goals. And I feel like that continues to be a pattern with Embiid is that he says like, he'll come up and he'll talk the talk. And that's part of the reason why he's so likable is he'll say like, I've got to do more. I don't want to get swept, which is all he's saying all the right things. That's the first step is to say these things and to have this mindset. But then like, he's just not backing it up. Yeah. He scored 30 and had 15 rebounds. Like that was basically was his stat line in all four games, but it's like, Okay, he also made two crucial errors in game three. I would agree, especially that he does eventually, in the wash, like, come out negative. I I think where I'm balking is, like, loser um, with with him. (laughs) But, like, but I think he does come out negative because, again, there are, like, things that he could have done. Like, he could have hung around the rim a little bit more. Like, I I don't know how much of, like, his conditioning issues are are just a matter of, like, everybody's trying to keep his feet healthy and his back healthy and all the stuff that he's, you know, that that's a tough one. But, like... He could be more efficient offensively. He could, I mean, I don't know what he does well, to work on his three-point shot. Like, Not even, I don't even care about him making them. Just the decision to take some of those were yes. so stupid. Like the decision-making there, don't pull up in transition. For sure. Especially, yeah, especially given the advantage. I mean, that's one of the, that's one of the reasons why the Celtics looked so mature in this series is because every time they had a mismatch, they took advantage of it immediately. And that's one of the things Brad is really good at. Like if there's a mismatch, he'll just keep killing it over and over and over again until you fix it. And that's what Joel Embiid does not do. If he's got an advantage, he does not just kill it time and time and time and time and time again down the floor. That was really the only chance the Sixers had in this series was if he did that. So yeah, I mean, you've actually, you talked me out of it. Joel Embiid, loser. <laughs> which is weird to say about a team's best player. Uh, but yeah, I'm changing my stance entirely. I think that's fair. And I think that like his mentality is a big reason why and his, and, and the fact that he didn't follow through with everything that he said he was going to do this year. Do you have any other winners from Philadelphia? Really? I don't think so. I would agree. Any uh, other ma- major losers? <laughs> the term just sounds. <laughs> Did you, um, when you were in school, did you have that thing, like, whatever major loser, or was that past your time? Uh, that was after my time, yes. Okay. Nicole, I did not have that. They came with those, like, For our listeners, things. Nicole is doing a hand motion with this. I assume that any of you who are also 17 years old, like Nicole, probably know <laughs> what that is. So you would say it as, like, a retort to be, like, whatever major loser. But anyway, major losers are Al Horford and she did it again. Harris. <laughs> I feel bad saying Tobias Harris because of the injury yeah. and stuff, but they both just came out looking not great. For sure. I mean, it's too bad, too, because, like, Harris was having his best game of the series by far. Like, if he played the way he played Sunday the rest of the games, like, he would not be a major loser, and maybe the Sixers steal a game or two. But, like, he, he was really bad. Horford was really bad. I feel bad for Horford, clearly a loser. This was a bad roster for him to be on, and you saw it every time the Sixers made him the center. I mean, he did the little guy thing to Daniel Tice, which, like, talking a little spicy for a guy who's had the season you've had, Al. But, like, you know, he just bullied the Celtics whenever he was the center because he can do that. Like, he can still post up. He can still got good touch. Like Bullied Grant Williams on a couple possessions. Bullied Grant Williams. Real, like, I'm offended that you're guarding me type offense. Yeah. I still think Horford's good. 
you know, maybe he's lost a step defensively like Jalen just had. No problem getting around him. Just a brutal season for Horford. I hope he's somewhere else next year, and I hope he's much more amenable to playing the five because that's where he can succeed still in the NBA. Is it because they just don't like being matched up against the traditional centers? Like both Al Horford and Anthony Davis are like, I just hate playing the five. I want to play the four. And it's like, no, you are used or you are much more effective when you play your actual position. I think 34-year-old Al Horford was looking at yet another season of guarding Joel Embiid and was just like, I don't want to, man. Like, this hurts. Like, because it would. Embiid's a giant man. Like, that would be very unpleasant. To that point, there were a couple possessions where I was like, oh, is a Celtic hurt right now? Because, I mean, with Jalen and the thigh, and that was all, like, incidental contact. Of course. Like, Embiid set a screen and, like, a Celtic would go down. I was like, oh, my God. But it's, no, it's just literally. Incidental contact on the screens, but yeah. (laughs) I mean, but no, he's, like, a seven-footer, 280 pounds. Like, that type of contact is going to hurt. He's enormous. Anyway, so yeah, I, I think Horford's on that list. I think, you know, the big winner is from this series on Philadelphia is Ben Simmons. Like, honestly, like I, that, yeah. everybody talked him up the whole series because, and they should, like, he's a great player. He's a great defender. I think he's a top 15 player of the NBA. Without him, the Sixers were lost. No, for sure. That's sort of like an underrated one because I feel like everyone sort of just clumps him in with the losers because it's like, oh, the fit sucks. Like, you have these two star players. Nobody really knows what to do with them. But it's like, no, like, the Sixers showed that they need Ben Simmons at least no matter how bad the fit is and even though like you mentioned earlier the Celtics probably still would have won the series blah 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 but like Ben Simmons's loss was felt immediately and like sort of when you compare it to the Celtics Gordon Hayward's loss was not felt at all like when we go on to them I probably would put him in the losers category Sixers have a lot of uh, a lot of difficult decisions ahead we're recording this on Sunday at 6 56 p.m. do you think we get word tonight that Brett Brown has been fired I mean, Woj had that tweet fucking ready. Like, literally. Locked and loaded. (laughs) Literally, the buzzer sounded, and then I got, like, the tweet notification. I was like, oh, what's this? Like, I thought he was just doing, like, um, Boston sweeps Philly, like a generic news update. And I was like, oh, no, like, Brett Brown also is probably going to be getting fired soon. Which everyone (laughs) saw coming, but the fact that he, like, sent it out right at the buzzer. That was vicious. (laughs) Um, all right, let's, let's, let's switch over to the Celtics. This time, let, let's start with losers again, because I think that's going to be a pretty short list. Um, who, who do you have for the Celtics in terms of losers? I mean, okay, I feel really bad calling him a loser. I feel bad calling anybody a loser, as we've said, but I feel really bad putting him in this category because it sucks. The situation completely sucks for him. He obviously had that huge, gruesome injury two seasons ago, misses the whole season, works his way back. Last season, everyone was unhappy. He obviously didn't play well, which makes sense as you're recovering from that like massive injury. Mm -hmm. Comes back this season, is honestly playing like an all-star to start, breaks his hand out for like a month or so, comes into the bubble and is like playing fantastic, and then sprains his ankle and is out for another at least month. So obviously I'm talking about Gordon Hayward. Brad Stevens said that he has left the bubble and he'll be back once he's closer to becoming available. It's not his fault at all, but there's just no other way of cutting it. It's just a tough situation. I mean, other than him, it's like guys who played, I I don't know who you could like say was one. Like, I don't think Brad Wanamaker or Shemi Ojale had like great series, but I, I wouldn't say that they were like losers in all this. Like they were fine. Yeah, I mean, I guess if we're getting really technical, and again, I feel bad for this one too, like Vincent Poirier, the fact that Taco is like active over you. 
Yeah, that's tough. That's not a great look probably, especially when Taco was a two-way player and yeah. you were a center on the on the NBA roster. Mm-hmm. Maybe put him in that category. Like, yes, with him for sure. Like, with Philly, it was like, okay, was anybody a winner? With the Celtics, it's like, okay, was anybody a loser? Do you think there's anybody else that really... Well, okay, let's do this, though. Let's put the Celtics on a tougher grading scale. So, like, I think that one winner kind of under the radar was Grant Williams. The guy is literally perfect from the field, from three. And, like, that's a huge deal. And if you noticed, the Sixers were actually starting to come out and cover him when he was out on the perimeter. Like, I don't think that's going to be, like, series-changing against Toronto, but it does make him playable if teams are coming out to guard him. Like, it, it just makes him a more valuable player and much more likely to get on the floor. I mean, Toronto is a much, much tougher test, a much smarter team, much more disciplined team. Like, it might be harder for a rookie like Grant to get on the floor, but I, I think it is kind of a big deal and definitely a win for him that he's been shooting really well. I agree. I think another winner is Kemba Walker. The knee looks great. He looks great. The Raptors are not going to defend him the way the Sixers did, where he was given so much space that he was like, yeah, it's kind of confusing, kind of off-putting how much space I have. Obviously, he took advantage of it in games three and four. One thing that is going to probably happen, the Sixers kept doubling Jason Tatum for a lot of game four. I wouldn't be surprised if the Raptors do that some too, because it does kind of throw the Celtics off a little bit. Like, their offense is predicated on having a top 10 player in the league in Jason Tatum. And when he's covered like that, when people are double teaming him, I think it does throw them for a little bit of a loop. I do think they figured it out in the second half. But while the Sixers were doing that, that was when Kemba was able to kind of really take advantage. I mean, I think he had 20 first half points in game four. He looks great. I think he's really ready. And I mean, I think he's also a winner just because he's, even if he's going to downplay it, it's kind of a big deal to win your first playoff series. Like that's why he came. So that's cool for him. Yeah. In typical fashion, we didn't lead with Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown. They both are obvious winners. (laughs) The fact that, yeah, we said Grant Williams is friend of the program, the first winner. But yeah, I mean, Jalen and Jason did exactly what you would want out of them. And that's That's almost why I don't call them winners. Cause like, (laughs) seriously, like, did you expect Jason Tatum to be a superstar? Yes. Okay. Like, I I don't know if that's winning. (laughs) I feel like if he didn't, we would have definitely called him a loser. So I feel like. Yeah, that's, that's why it's tough to be a superstar. Like you, like seriously, he's got expectations. I don't think that's unreasonable. Like, (laughs) and that's a huge compliment to him that he's at this stage now where we expect all of this. I guess I would, if we're trying to get technical, I would still put them in the the winner column. With Jalen, I think the free throw shooting, Jalen Brown, his first three seasons, he shot in the 60%, 68%, 64%, 66%. This season, he shot 72.4%. So definitely an improvement, but still not probably where the Celtics would want it. But then in this series against the Sixers, he missed only two free throws out of... 24 attempts. It's not worth Yeah. Especially he had the two – he had two opportunities at the line where he took three shots in a row and the fact that he made all of them both times. Like, that's just such an improvement. And I wonder actually if if it has to do with the bubble at all. Like, there's no fans and stuff. I wonder if he'd be offended by that question. That could be a factor, actually. Yeah. The guy's – reliable now from the free throw line he shot in the 60 percent uh before that's that's really amazing from cleaning the glass um his free throw percentages were 69 64.5 and 65.5 that was sixth eighth and sixth percentiles league-wide among wings he was literally one of the worst wing free throw shooters in the league you know 72.2 percent it's not great still it's like 18th percentile among wings before if he had three free throws you're like i wonder if he goes one for three here and now it's like oh yeah he might make all three so it's a noteworthy difference i feel like 
Definitely. Other winners. I think Brad Stevens comes out as a winner in this series. Brad likes to go under the radar and he likes it when we mostly ignore him. But I mean, his strategy against Embiid was really smart. And it wasn't just let's let Embiid get his against Daniel Tice, which was kind of what a lot of people, including myself, sort of suggested. It wasn't that. It was like a really good doubling strategy where the Celtics were still able to get out to the guys who could hurt them from three. And a lot of that is obviously players executing and actually doing the things that the coach is advising you to do. But I think Brad deserves credit for that. I think he deserves credit for the way that the Celtics kind of approach things. Like they were very businesslike. No, for sure. Even just like the messaging from him, like when they went up 3-0, he was like, that means nothing. And then even when they clinched today, Abby asked him, how long can you savor this? And he was like, well, I really didn't like how he played in the last three minutes of the game. So that's what's on my mind right now. You know what I mean? And then you hear Jalen say that later. And I think there is a trend. Maybe it's just coincidence, but there has been enough times where Brad will say something in his press conference and then you hear a player say virtually the exact same thing. So I feel like that shows the messaging is resonating. Any other winners that you have? I think one minor winner is Romeo, just because he toughed out that wrist injury and his defense has still been pretty good. Like, I mean, I don't know. I feel like that's a little bit of a stretch. I think offensively, there were some decisions with that bench unit. As much success as the bench unit did have, he sort of like went for it, which like props. But like, I also think like Jason Tatum is on the court right now. Like, yeah, for sure. Why this bench unit is effective is because you all are serviceable on defense and then Tatum can sort of and Brad Wanamaker can sort of run the offense and I mean in this game he attempted a three he ended up stepping out of bounds so it was a turnover anyway but that three was not a smart shot in Um, my opinion no that's fair I don't mean that like he played particularly amazing I I think that it should be somewhat encouraging for the Celtics that if he comes in the game there are ways to make sure that like that they actually can potentially use that bench lineup especially with Gordon out especially down the road and you know I think Romeo's part of that because his defense has been good calling him a winner might be strong that's fair but I I think there were winning elements maybe Tom is just a Romeo homer and there's nothing we can do about it (laughs) he definitely isn't a loser but I don't think he did enough to if we're gonna get into semantics to be like he was a winner I suppose that's fair if I'm not gonna call (laughs) Jason Tatum a winner (laughs) maybe I can't No, that's fair. Oh, and then I have one other winner. We talked about him earlier. Ennis Cantor was a winner in this series. I don't know how much he's going to play. Uh, I don't think he's going to play much. I think Brad hinted at that by saying today, kind of unprompted that Rob Williams is going to play a lot going forward. That to me suggests that Ennis Cantor's time on the court may have reached not an end, but certainly a uh, a dropping off point. But in the minutes that he gave, like we said before, he, he was good. He played hard. He played pretty well against Embiid, and that's all you can really ask for. Anyone else? No, I feel like we've pretty much listed the entire Celtics roster and put them somewhere in the winner vicinity. Danny Ainge is a winner, especially when you put them like head-to-head against the Philadelphia front office. I just keep coming back to how much of a loser Al Horford is in all this. (laughs) Man, oh man. Like that guy... That guy went to Philly and like, I get it because we all thought that Philly might be a championship team too. But like, did he think to himself at all? Like, hey, like the team that I'm on, that I'm going to be on again now with Kyrie gone that that team was like a championship team because that team was much closer to the championship than the Sixers had ever been. There was all that drama with like, oh, Al didn't know that Kemba was going to be coming onto the roster. And then somebody had a report like, oh, now that Al knows that Kemba's on, him and the Celtics are talking again. I thought all of that was sort of bullshit to begin with. 
it was. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like hindsight's twenty twenty there in terms of like comparing the Celtics versus the Sixers. But viewing the Sixers as the prime option, like you should have known about the fit and spacing. Like it's already hard enough for Simmons and Embiid to share the court. How yeah. is Al Horford going to come in and have space? So that I think is more of the thing as opposed to like picking the Sixers over the Celtics. It's just picking the Sixers in general. In 2017, Al Horford shot 35% from three. In 2018, he shot 42%, which was easily his career high, like really a phenomenal number. Once in his career, Al Horford shot more than 37%, which I believe is now league average from three. Like, did he think that he was just going to be like this sharpshooter? Like his entire career suggests that he's like a decent three-point shooter who you have to guard, but you're not like freaking out about. And really, like, the players that work on Philly next to Embiid and Simmons are three-point shooters who you have to freak out about. Like, that's why J.J. Redick was so good. That's why Bellinelli was good with them. I mean, that's why I think Korkmaz was probably a better option than some of their other guys that they were playing. Like, those guys need really awesome three-point shooters to be effective. And, like, Horford was is, like, a perfectly acceptable three-point shooter. Like, you're not surprised when Al Horford makes a three, but you're not, you're not sprinting out to the three-point line. Your coach isn't screaming at you, why did you leave that guy open? That's just not Al. Al can shoot the three well enough that if need be, he can space the floor and hang out by the perimeter. But that's not the ideal place to have him on the court. Right, yeah, exactly, exactly. That's the thing. It's like that's where you want J.J. Redick hanging out. You know what I mean? Like Al Horford, that's not where you want him. You want him exactly where Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are. Yeah. And I mean, and to Al's credit, I, I, I shouldn't like rip on him too much because maybe, maybe it was just the fact that the Sixers plopped down a piece of paper in front of him that said four years, 109 million. And if that's the case, fair enough. Especially because I think at the time, even before we saw how much of a shit show this was going to be, even at the time, people were like, whoa, that's yeah. a hefty contract for Al Horford. Yeah. And yeah. we know Danny Ainge thought that. Yeah. I think honestly, like the Sixers front office comes out looking more like losers than Al Horford because like, yeah, Horford had a really bad series, but like, honestly, props to him for tricking them into signing this contract or whatever. (laughs) I think like that's the Sixers and like their scouts and like their whole front office and evaluation process. Like they're more at fault than any of the players in my opinion. Cause like, I'm sure Al Horford tried. Like that's the thing. I'm sure they all are trying. So I, I give them all anybody who we labeled a loser on Philadelphia. They all tried. That's a really good point. Like, there are players who come out looking like losers, but for most of them, it's the Sixers front office. It comes down to Elton Brand. It comes down to the decisions that have been made. And, like, nobody's a loser for giving up. Like, I feel like that is definitely a quality that makes you an instant loser is just, like, not trying. Like, I feel like that instantly puts you in the loser category, and that just wasn't the case here. So, at the very least, there's that. Again, which just, like, further is an indictment on the front office. So, looking forward, then, to the Toronto series, who would you say is, like, the X factor? Like, who needs to be a winner for the Celtics? So, I think against Toronto, and this is going to sound funny right after I, like, refuse to call him a winner, I think it's got to be Tatum. To me, the way that Jason Tatum can be a winner in the Celtics-Raptors series is if he is, like, notably and significantly better than Pascal Siakam. If he is significantly better than Pascal Siakam, the Celtics probably win this series. The Raptors have a lot of good players, but I think the Celtics have just kind of more firepower in that initial unit. It's going to kind of come down to, like, how good Jason Tatum can be. 
it is kind of a cop out to be like, yeah, Jason Tatum's the X factor here. But like, I think that how good he is, is sort of the swing factor to me in this series. Is there anyone on the bench that you think is about to have a lot of eyes on them? There is. Thank you for asking, Nicole. I think that the answer is Robert Williams. Rob could have a really good series. Marc Gasol is obviously super talented. Rob just feels like he would be kind of annoying to guard and to like, like go against because he's so freaking athletic. I like that that type of athleticism just makes things a little bit more difficult for everybody on the other team involved. And, and I think that Gasol, he's going to have to do kind of a lot, I think. And, you know, whoever, whoever they bring in. So I, I think, I think Rob's a big kind of swing factor here. And, and I'm, and, and especially now that Brad has pretty much confirmed that he's going to get more minutes. Are you concerned defensively? Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> like, it's like, I mean, we've seen Rob be pretty good on that end, but like, yeah, of course. Like we've got, we, we've got two years of evidence that he's going to jump at everything and swipe at everything. And we've got like eight games of evidence that he stays down now. So yeah, I mean, that's three games because he didn't play in the first like three <laughs> games of the bubble. So yeah, we've got like four games of positive sample size and, you know, roughly two years of less positive. So. I think that's a real concern, but I mean, I, I think that that's what's going to make it so interesting to me. Right. We could probably leave it there. Thank you guys all for listening. Uh, we appreciate everybody who listens. Appreciate everybody who's left us a review. DM us if you have anything you want to say. We're definitely interested, and we will talk to you all again soon.